All right, in your Bibles tonight, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're picking up where we left off last week with unmasking the costumed wolves or predators. And um, as Jesus Christ, as he speaks about false prophets, and it's the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the passage of, which really the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon by the Lord Jesus Christ that is giving us the principles and truths of discipleship. How am I supposed to live as a Christian? And Jesus is giving us these truths in this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're going to look at verses 15 through 20, picking up again where we left off last week. And what an important message in a day where there is, and I would, I would, it seems like, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like with the advent of the internet and social media, there are more avenues for false teachings than ever in all of history. Because there are so many people with different ideas and different thoughts, and our truth that we must settle, as we were talking about this morning, except the Lord build the house, you labor in vain, and we're going over the home and those sorts of things in the morning services, we will be, and, uh, but if we're not settling our foundation upon uh, God's Word and how we build our lives, our homes, our churches, these are things that will create some serious problems. False prophets love to come in, take advantage of what God does and, God, and use God's name without the, cert, without the certification of God. And uh, it would be like someone saying, oh, I can notarize that for you, even though they may not be a notary. And, uh, you know, oh, I can do that. Oh, yeah, sure, I'm my own notary. Well, okay, you can't just say you're a notary. You can't just say you're a lawyer uh, unless there's certain means, right? And uh, there are certifications that must happen. And so here in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look and sound like a Christian. But inwardly they are ravening wolves, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. There's a gentleman, Dr. Paul Brand, he was speaking to a medical college in India on Matthew 5.16. And uh, the idea of Matthew 5, 16, as, as it states here, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In front of a lectern was an oil lamp, as this Dr. Brand speaks, with its cotton wick burning from the shallow dish of oil. As he preached, the lamp ran out of oil, the wick burned dry, and the smoke made him cough. He immediately used the opportunity. He said, some of us here are like this wick. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel of our witness rather than the Holy Spirit. Wicks can last indefinitely, burning brightly without irritating smoke, if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is in constant supply, end quotes. As we look at this passage of Scripture tonight, I want to, we just sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. The God in heaven that we get a chance to know and the opportunity and the privilege and the blessing of knowing is a thrice holy God, perfect, without error, 
And yet, this God who is all perfect would humble Himself to come to earth as fully man, fully God. Jesus Christ in human flesh. He's giving us the warnings. He says, listen, there are people that are going to say they're of God. They may use Jesus' name, but they are not who they say they are. No true preacher of God will lead the people away from the holiness and righteousness of God. We are in a culture where there are many preachers tickling the ears of the people with the endeavor to entertain The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And just because something may have a large crowd, there might be a large crowd for the preacher, does not mean necessarily that that preacher is of God. Because if it does not align with Scripture, sure, you can take a a small text and say, Hey, this is what it says. But you understand this, Scripture interprets Scripture and gives us the context. The Bible will be the best commentary on the Bible you've ever had. If you want to understand a principle, hey, how do I do this? I, I just, you know, you think on these very truths. There's certain things that you look through in the Bible. You're like, I don't quite understand it. And you begin to study the Bible, and you're like, ah, now I understand Because other passages of Scripture will shed light on something that maybe in the current passage you're like, that doesn't quite make make sense. So, And Jesus would say in Luke 6, 26, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And Jesus will also talk about that the Antichrist uh, would have a large gathering of people, but obviously not very godly. One of the easiest ways in looking, he says here, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. If you look at this, false prophets are detected by the holiness or lack thereof their followers. But be holy as God is holy. Now, I'm not talking, there are some that go to such extremes wherein they say, you know, they, they, they get away from holiness and they get onto legalism. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll get to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. That's legalism. Because that points, that pulls you in the direction of you're trying to merit to God under your own terms. What God's desire is, as we look tonight, false prophets are detected by the holiness or lack thereof of their followers. And you'll know them by their fruits. Are the people who are there seeking to know God better, and is their life becoming more moral and ethical and kind and caring and compassionate? The very thing that we're looking at, the fruit of the Spirit. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and we will move forward. Our dear and heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I love you. Lord, I need your help this evening as I preach your holy word. Father, there's a lot out there. A lot of messages. They may sound good. And they may feel good. And maybe in the immediate, if they were to look at that, just that verse, or however, as they spoke, it might say, well, I could see that. But Father... We understand as you look at the totality of Scripture, it doesn't align with what you teach us. 
Our Father, tonight I pray that we would bear fruit of that of holiness. Father, I thank you for your grace. I do plead the blood of Christ upon this time. Hedge us in. Bind Satan. And God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred ever closer to you. And God, should there be someone here tonight that is not certain of their eternal destiny, that God, they would settle that. And Lord, you work in the hearts as only you can. I yield this time to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for salvation. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The need for caution I had spoken about last week, and then we come to the principle of holiness. And in Exodus chapter 15, we're going to look at a couple passages. If you'd like, there is a Bible in most of your pews, and uh, if you'd like to follow along. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, you're welcome uh, to use any of those Bibles in the pews during the service. Exodus 15, 11 uh, God tells us about this holiness, and uh, that word holiness is a partness, sacredness uh, of divine activity, majesty, a victory uh, of that word. And uh, glorious means to be majestic, and it occurs uh, twice in a very emphatic sense. And uh, here in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, this whole idea that Jesus gives, you shall know them by their fruit, you're looking at what is being manifested or acted out in the lives of those who are partaking of uh, maybe of that particular church. And uh, you know what? The, if you're there at a church, there ought, at a church preaching the Bible, there ought to be, you know, either a, a con, there, there should be, a, there will be a conviction. And that conviction is going to compel you to want to go closer to Christ, or because of that conviction and that uncomfortness, uh, un, being uncomfortable, you're going to say, I don't like that, and then you're going to push back. But one way or the other, that conviction is going to have an effect upon you. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, the Bible says, Who is likened to thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. That idea there of fearful is awe-inspiring and praises, awesome, holiness, apartness, sacredness, that God is absolutely perfect, the standard of all that is right, the standard of love, the standard of righteousness, which is doing right. He is the standard for everything of perfection. Who is likened to thee? Look with me in another passage of Scripture. <clears throat> Exodus 39.30. I'm laying down some of the principles that will give us guidance as to this idea of testing the fruit. Have you ever gone to the store and you get a watermelon and you begin to knock on it and maybe you're looking for the lines and certain things and you're like, ah, it seems like a good watermelon. And, uh, and then you get it and you open it up and you taste it and you're like, oh, it's kind of sour. You know, I don't, I mean, there's probably ways to do it, but sometimes you get like an apple and you feel a few of them. They're like, yeah, they feel pretty good. You get them home, you start eating them. You're like, man, these are kind of mushy. No, they're just mealy. They're just, I like, if I like, when I get an apple, I want it nice and crisp, juicy and crisp. I don't like them soft. Ugh. Anyways, but in Exodus chapter 39, 30, and, and that fruit is not what it necessarily seemed like, but in Exodus 39, verse 30, the Bible tells us, and they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it a writing like to the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. 
And here are the priests there in the tabernacle. They are separated for the purpose of pleasing the Lord. They were dedicated. They were commissioned in the service of God to be separate and pleasing to God. The fruit that will bear from the Bible preaching ought to be a desire in the believers to say, I want to please God. It's not getting God to do what I want Him to do or conjuring up enough faith or some prayers. It's saying, no, I want to live my life that is pleasing to the Lord. Realize this in Amos 4, 2. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that, lo, the day shall come upon you, that He'll take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. Now, He judges, how God judges is by purity. As we were talking about in Sunday school this morning with Josiah, King Josiah of Judah, he came through and he began to get rid of idolatry and idols and uh, priests and all of these things of those who were defiling the land because he did not want to hurt or, or mar anything that would displease God. Now, when I'm talking about a displeasure of God, it's not like some angry dad or something else where you're constantly walking on eggshells. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying there is a perfect God, perfect in love, perfect in peace, in joy, and all of everything that I need, and I, my desire of all my heart is that I ought to say, this is what it ought to be, is I want to please Him. And He's telling us here in Amos chapter 4, verse 2, He says, listen, there's coming days where God will perfectly judge you. He will have all the facts. There will be nothing that is, is hidden from Him. It is a judge with all Every, I mean, he knows all the evidence is there. And so when he makes his decisions, as he would come down as Amos is preaching to the people, listen, he says, there's going to come a time of great harm. And God's desire in this holiness is to get us to the place to restore a nation's heart back to him. And God will use discipline you see, discipline, and sometimes our mind has been marred because potentially of how we grew up or parents or guardians or individuals with whom we've interacted, and that discipline was far over what it should have been, but our God has a way of allowing hardship and trials in our life to bring us to the place where it binds my heart back to His. And His holiness is a desire to say, listen, you're going the wrong way. You're doing the wrong things. I remember a time in my life, I was in the military, and I was, uh, I was on a six-month TDY, which is like a business trip. Temporary duty is what it stands for. And I was there, and uh, I was doing some exercises one morning. I didn't have my shoes on, and I, I stepped wrong, and I broke my foot. And uh, during that six-month period of time, Man, it was a dip. I mean, I, my foot was healing, and I had to ask. I mean, here I am in a new place. I was there uh, in Ohio. I, I was stationed originally in New York, and uh, <clears throat> I was there. And I mean, I was new at a church. I had to ask people for help. I had to do this. And during that, it was kind of like God just says, Listen, you like being independent. I did. But I had to realize, listen, God wanted to get my heart closer to Him. And so he allowed this and some other trials that I made bad decisions. The hardship I went would bring me close to the Father's heart. To a place where I would finally come and break down and say, God, I don't care what I've got to do, I'll do it. 
because I just want your peace back. You see, God's holiness, he says, listen, Chris, you're going the wrong way. I'm going to put some stumbling blocks. I'm going to put some trials. I'm going to allow some trials in your life because in my holiness, I've got a perfect way and I'm going to, I'm going to give you some discipline, chastisement, because I want your heart to mine. In God's habitation, in Psalm 93, 5, thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. You see, it is as you're in the presence of God. It's not some mystical thing. But man, when I'm coming to Him, I want to please Him. The totality of all that I desire ought to be when I come before a perfect God, I want to please Him. I want my mind, my thinking, my actions, my interactions with others to be such that He's pleased. And He says, holiness becometh thine house. You see, in this church, the desire of our hearts of, and the desire as we have in our, our doctrine and our constitution and for those that end up joining the church, the desire is that we have holiness. Now, are we all perfect? Un no, we're not. Are we all at different stages? Of course we are. We're all growing. We're all, you know, we're struggling and trying to get, you know, how do I deal with my flesh and how do I deal with some of the things from the past? And I'm not saying we're, we're comparing ourselves in once another and that's just foolishness. We, don't, we can't compare ourselves because the only comparison that I have and all of us should have is my comparison to God and all of us fall short. God's, and, and within God's house, when people are coming into God's house here, the conversations and things we're having ought to be, you know, we don't want all, the, you know, all this foul language and all this speech and dirty jokes. And, I mean, that ought to be in God's house. This is a place where we want to bring our hearts and minds before our Almighty God. And His habitation the Antichrist would end up actually desecrating the temple in Isaiah 63, 18. The people of thy holiness have possessed it, but a little while our adversaries have trodden down thy sanctuary. This world has no issue in taking the things of God and making them common or profane. I'd like you to look with me at another about God's rule and holiness, Psalm 47. Holiness is absolutely pivotal and key to this issue of false prophets a church that is allowing of its members or people therein to partake in activities that are clearly forbidden by the word of god they are desecrating god's house again this idea of holiness is not i'm better than you you're better than me it's not a comparison because if we begin to get to that mindset then we have lost the holiness, and now it's a pride issue. And that is counted as, before God as abomination. So again, it's not, am I better than you, or you have rough spots? That's not what I'm saying. Because we're all on our own personal journey before the Lord. None of us are perfect. But the endeavor of our heart is that I want to live and act in light of the one I'm seeking to please. You see, holiness will propel you in your life to make decisions that might be unpopular, but yet it will be popular with God. 
In Psalm 47, 8, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. God is above all the gods, all other gods. He alone is God and he needs nothing to exist. He ultimately rules over the heathen. Look with me at Psalm 48, 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness. I'm telling you, God will say over and over and over again, holiness, holiness, holiness. When I get to heaven and you get to heaven, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, He's not going to ask us, was I better than so and so? But He will ask me what I did with the truth of His Word. How I conducted my life. Was it You see, I'm responsible. We have the Bible. And we're accountable. And many of you have been in church for a long time. And the more light and the more knowledge you have, the more accountable you are. Our command of holiness is relative to God. Would you look with me in your Bible uh, at Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. And again, as Jesus was talking about in that idea of false prophets, it's not a he said, she said type of issue. Because as the preaching goes forth, it's going to change its listeners to where they are adhering to what is being said, or they won't, but there's going, by and large, there's going to be an atmosphere that is either going to draw them into holiness and a consideration. How do my actions make the world think of my God? What do people think of the God of the Bible as I say I'm a Christian when they look at me? Leviticus chapter 11, our command of holiness is always relative to God. My command of holiness is never relative to you or I. Never. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, for I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, What does it say next? For I am holy. We like to compare ourselves and look at others. Well, I'm better than so, so I don't do this, I don't do that. We've got the wrong perspective. We've lost, we've, we've taken a vertical perspective and made it horizontal, and you have a lot of problems when you do that. Because he said, you're to be holy because I'm holy. Who you're following, you will mimic. If I'm wanting to follow God, I'm going to desire holiness. Again, I'm not saying we're perfect, but that is the aim. I want to have more pure thoughts. I want to to be more kind. I want to be more loving. I want to, uh, you know, because that's what God is. In 1 John 3, 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even 
as he is pure. That's 1 John 3, 3. He says, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Again, we find a comparison always to God, never to man. Leviticus 19, 2. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20, verse 7. He says, for I am the Lord your God. And he talks about, be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Uh, Leviticus 22, 32. 1 Peter 1, 16. A little illustration for you on this. Did you know that not only is there not a longing in our hearts for holiness, some people actually have a resistance against it, an antipathy toward holiness. I mean, they can't stand it. I mean, we make fun of it. Holy Joel, holier than thou, holy roller, we make fun of it. This idea of being holy is kind of foreign to us, and, it's, and almost it's a stigma that has been attached to a person who wants to be holy. And yet, the Bible clearly and plainly tells us, those who are living in tough times, that we are to be holy. Holy. It, <clears throat> circumstances, environment, does not give us the right to justify or excuse or make some explanation why a wrong behavior is correct. Because holiness is holy without conditions. It's holy. When Jesus Christ was there on trial, ready to go to the cross, and they were, I mean, they were just pulling out horrible accusations against him. And he stood there quiet. He allowed them to mar his body. Never once did the turmoil and the struggles he go through give him justification for cursing and swearing at those who dealt him a bad hand. Circumstances do not give us a right to justify wrong. You see, God only wants a holy offering, as the Bible tells us in Leviticus 21.8. If you think about this, in the worship. Look with me at Leviticus 21.4-6. You want to know one thing about holiness that's kind of an encouragement? It doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter what I think of you. What ultimately matters at the end of the day is what God thinks of me. Many of the prophets of God were not well liked by their countrymen, by those of their citizens. But they did what God called them to do. You see, your actions have a bearing upon whom you're following. And if your actions are to live for yourself, to speak what you want to speak, to do what you want to do in separation from God's Word and the principles of holiness, then what you're saying is it doesn't really matter if I'm holy. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 4, the Bible tells us, but he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. They shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy unto their God, and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and the bread of their God they do offer, therefore they shall be holy. He says, listen, I don't want the priests 
I don't want any of my priests cutting their body or making any marks in their body. He says, I don't want them to have any tattoos. The priests further were not to follow the fads and the fashions of the world around them, specifically in shaving their heads like monks do today. Neither were they to trim their beards or otherwise mar their bodies, tattoos, as people of the world did and do. In a word, they were to be separate and different from the world, not being conformed thereto. In all their service before God, they were to be holy. This is God, you know, if, if we're a child of God, and I understand we've all made decisions in the past, okay? Don't beat yourself up on that. Ask Christ to forgive you, let it go, okay? <clears throat> so again, you're like, oh, I've done that. Okay. It, we don't live in the past. We don't live in what we've done. You can make a decision. Jesus sat with the publicans and sinners, and he didn't say, oh, I'm so glad you're publican sinners and, and, and harlots and drunkards and blah, blah, blah. You know, he didn't say, I'm glad that that's who they are. He changed them. That's what they were, but that's not what they're anymore. What you've done in the past does not determine your future. You can make a decision. Yeah, I made some bad decisions. And I want to go forward. You see, in 1 Peter, it actually lets us know that we're all, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're all priests before God. We have direct access to him in prayer. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't have a right to graffiti God's, God's temple. In Leviticus 21.8, going forth here, Thou shalt sanctify him therefore, for he offered the bread of thy God. He shall be holy unto thee, for I, the Lord, which sanctify you, am holy. God says, listen, I want some people who are so determined that what I want in my relationship matters more to them than anything else. I'm not talking of a cult where you're following a man. I'm not talking, you know, some ascetic lifestyle. You're living in the cave. I'm not talking about this. But what God would use, God would use the imperfections of the apostles. I mean, Peter was a man that spoke his mouth. He had a lot of problems. He denied Jesus. I mean, I mean and then you had the apostle Paul that murdered Christians. He put him to death. And God would go forward in a magnificent way and use him mightily. But these apostles, God would use in a great way to turn the world upside down. Because their heart's intent was the pleasing of Jesus and letting the world know. I mean, they're like, you know, the, when the world and the culture around them and the cities that they minister to, they're like, who are these guys? They're uneducated people. I mean, come on now. Tax collectors, fishermen, oh wow, they're the smart people in society. No, they weren't. But they said, we don't understand. They have such a knowledge and wisdom. We can't, we can't fight with it. I mean, it doesn't matter all the academic knowledge we have. Somehow we don't know how to stop what they're saying because we know it's true. Because these men were close to God. The fruit of their lives displayed without apology. They were of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. 
Look with me at Leviticus, if you're there in Leviticus still, 22.15. And they shall not profane. That word profane means to make common. And they sh- Leviticus 22.15. And they shall not profane the holy things of the children of Israel, which they offer unto the Lord, or to suffer them to bear the iniquity of trespass when they eat their holy things, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. God is very clearly saying, I don't want just common things. I don't want it if it's just of your everyday, oh, okay, here, yeah, yeah, I got this. I guess I'll just throw that out. Or I'll give it to the church. You know, I'll give it to the temple. Yeah, that's okay. God's saying no. God's saying, I want your best. Look with me at 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. I know I'm making a lot of emphasis on this because this principle of holiness is absolutely essential and pivotal to the fruit bearing. It is not a mark of I'm better or Please do not get this. I'm, you're saying, oh, we can't ever mess up. Oh, I mess up, so I guess I don't want to go there. That's not what I'm saying. Please, please, please don't say that. Don't, don't think that. The thought is that God's desire is, listen, I don't want you to stay who you are. I want you to continue to grow closer to God. And as you grow closer to God, you will manifest and people will say something has changed in you. Because you've spent time with him who's perfect. And as you spend time with him, there's things you you might be doing and you're like, oh, I want to stop doing that. And as you spend more time, people are saying, you're not the same person. Something's happened to you. You see, God changes us. And that process of God changing us is what is known as sanctification. Sanctification means set apart. God's saying, hey, you're all mine. I'm not sharing you with anyone else. And the more time you spend with him, you're going to look like him. You're going to talk like him. He's saying, you're my child. And as you get that closer to the Lord, man, you're going to find your true value. You're going to find your purpose. You're going to find help to overcome some of those besetting sins. You see, sin's going to bother you. If there's things that are in contradiction of the Word of God and you can do them and they don't bother you and you know they're wrong and it doesn't bother you, you very well may want to ask yourself, number one, am I really saved? Number two, why, if, you're, if you say, well, I know I'm saved, then why does it not bother you? I remember <clears throat> as I was coming away from the world and there I was in the military and and I was there with my peers, and they would do things that the world does, and I would do some things, and, and there were times I would go places, and I'm just like, oh, I really don't feel good. Like, it's just, the Spirit of God was telling me inside, this isn't good. And I didn't quite understand what that was. I was very small, you know, very early in my faith. I had been saved a long time, but I was very early, you know, kind of young in my knowledge of the faith. Here in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, the Bible says, Give unto the Lord 
the glory due unto his name, bring an offering, and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. When we come before the Lord, his desire, he says, listen, I want holiness. God's saying, I want you to continue to strive with his help and time with him, meditating in his word. He says, I want you to be separated unto me. God will do the work of changing you if you'll do the work of spending time with him and his word. That's what he's called you to do. It's not, oh, pastor said I got to be perfect. Yes, but that's what God says. But you're not doing it in your own strength. Because the Spirit of God, as you, do, as you go through life, He's going to say, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing that. You're right, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Boom, holiness, restored relationship. You do something else. You know, and when you're early in your faith, I've talked to some people, and I know, remember in my own life, I'm like, oh, Lord, I got a lot of junk, and I keep doing a lot of bad things. I'm like, oh, man, I'm like the worst person on the face of the earth. You know, I felt like that at times. But as God worked in my life, and there were things I had to overcome, and I had to, there were times, you know, people I had wronged in the past and things I had done, and I remember one time I had worked at a theater, and, you know, I had taken some things I shouldn't have, and years later I wrote him a letter, sent him some money, and I said, listen, I apologize, I stole this. I went back and I apologized for what I had done. And there was a restoration of that peace and joy of the Lord. Because I don't want anything between me and Him. And if I know there's anything, I know there's a sin in my life between me and Him, the first thing He's called us to do is repent. For, ask for forgiveness. And God says, in the beauty of holiness. One commentator writes, he says, to this day we are enjoined to the worship of the Lord and the beauty of holiness. The word translated as worship literally means to bow down or prostrate oneself, means to put yourself on your face. Implicit or understood in this idea is utter submission to reverence. Moreover, notice that there is genuine beauty and true holiness. Additionally, there is genuine holiness associated with true beauty. Where we therefore, under orders from on high to worship God in holiness, it is beautiful to God. As you desire, by God's help, God's leading, God's work to change you. And you just, when he says, hey, there's a problem here. You've got some sin in your life. Oh, you're right, Lord. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And if it's against someone else, ask them to forgive you. And, and you move forward. God says, listen, you can worship me in the beauty of holiness. Purity. Well, the world might say someone is tainted. Someone is tarnished. Something is no good. God doesn't say that. He says, listen, I can make you pure and you can be holy. God does that. Holiness is beautiful. It is true and pure exaltation of the Lord. The priests were sacred in their holiness. You realize the priests would sanctify themselves. They would set themselves aside. Their lives were different from the world, even the religious culture. In Psalm, let's look at a couple of verses here in Psalms, and then I'm going to have to draw it to a close. I did not finish my message tonight. Again, 
Psalm 29, 2. Look at a few verses here in Psalm 29. You see, we evaluate the large churches, and you might have lots of people there, but you look at the lives of the adherents, and maybe even of the pastor himself or their own children, and you begin to evaluate. And I understand pastors' children are just like everyone else. But <clears throat> begin to look at the lives, and maybe they're into all the you know, all the worldliness and all the world's music and the world's entertainment and all this stuff, and it doesn't bother them. Stuff that is clearly in violation of God. They're leading in a direction that is not trying to draw you into the beauty of holiness, but somehow trying to get God and living for myself and somehow blend it together so I can have some sort of semblance of peace with God. If you're married, you don't want to share your spouse with another person. And God likens it many times as Israel. He says, listen, you've got other lovers. Holiness is in my wife and I. There's not another lady in my life. It's only my wife. No one else is going to be as close to me as my wife. And God says, I want all of your heart. Because if something else has your heart, then you have other lovers. Holiness is, I've given all my heart to Him. Psalm 29, 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. Psalm 96, 9. And as I preach this, I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. I've got battles and struggles and challenges I go through daily. Every one of us do. Every one of us are in this process of saying, listen, Lord, I want to give you all of my heart. I want to be beautiful in holiness. And God says if you're that whole idea of striving to be pure and right before Him, there's beauty. Psalm 96.9 Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of... What does it say? Holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. In Psalm 97, 12. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. From what we've looked at tonight, and we still have some more to look at, do you not think that holiness is important with God? Do not think that God's nature is holiness. So for a preacher to not preach holiness and a separation from the world, like, I'm, I don't want to be a part of the world. I don't want to go into the bars. I don't want to go into these nightclubs. I don't want to go to these music venues and all these other things that are, that are aggrandizing or, or promoting all this sensuality and, and just, hey, live it up. I don't want to be a part of that. 
I don't belong to myself. I belong to the God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who bought me. He bought me from all of that. I'm his child. If any of you have children, you don't want your children going out into a place that will harm them. You have such a love for your child, you said, listen, I want the best for my kids. And you're going to do all you can to help your child be the best. And the best that they can be is holy unto the Lord. Now they need to make that decision. But I'm telling you, it was holiness that kept Christ on that path to the cross. Because he says, I want a relationship with you. I want to spend eternity with you. Holiness. You see, it wasn't, you can do it any way. God, Christ, went and paid that penalty of sin on the cross for our guiltiness because we're not perfect. We've got problems. And he says, I want to help you. And as I... Look, last verse. I wasn't going to do this, but 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You see, Christian, if a preacher is failing to preach holiness, and again, it can be conveyed in a mean way. I'm not advocating for that. It can be conveyed in an arrogant way. I'm not advocating for that. <clears throat> but holiness is who God is. That's who He says He is in the Bible. And that holiness, man, it ought to draw me to him. There's something about the innocence of a little child. You see the smile and the giggles and the laughter of a little child. And there's just something so, I mean, you just look at that little child and you're like, wow. And just, they haven't really been defiled by the world yet. And you're drawn to that. You're like, wow, that child's beautiful or handsome or whatever, right? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. What price is that? That's Christ on the cross. Therefore glorify God. That means make God look good as you live out your life. That people look at you and they're like, wow, what an amazing God. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As you think on these truths this evening, of really unveiling, unmasking these costume wolves, you need to look at the fruit of the followers. If they can condone, you know, shacking up, one night stands, all this kind of stuff, then they are not, they're in opposition of God's word. Because God's desire, he says, I want all of your heart and purity. Now, 
Is it a challenge? Of course it is. Is it difficult at times? Yes. We have our nature that you're like, oh, I love doing this. (laughs) It's a battle. But I ought to want to spend more time with him, more time with him. And then those things I used to do that were of the world, or maybe not too long ago I did, they're not going to be as pleasing anymore. Because I'm finding greater pleasure with him. This evening, as you think upon these truths, and we come to the time of invitation. Number one, has God ever forgiven of your sins? Have you ever had your sins forgiven? Because you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your sins and be your Savior. It's not going to church, being a good person, doing a lot of good things. No, the simple truth is you have to just confess your sins, ask Him to forgive you and be your Savior. You recognize He's holy, He's perfect. He paid it, and you ask Him to forgive you. You're forgiven. And Christian, it ought to be of those with whom we have an influence upon, have a greater desire for holiness because my attitudes, my actions, my thoughts, my demeanor is such that people look at it and either they hate it because they don't like God or they look at it and they say, something's different. You're being changed. What is it that's changing you? And I trust tonight that the desire of your heart would be holiness before God. If I can have Mrs. Pat come forward for invitation, please. This message has been very heavy. You see, my friend, it doesn't matter what you come from, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you're stuck in right now. What matters is the desire of your heart is I want to worship in the beauty of holiness. And Lord, I want to I move that direction. That is the start that God is desiring. Moving, separating unto Himself. And just ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that is separating me from you? Is there any sin in my life that's creating a separation, creating that division where I'm not having the peace of God upon my life? And if there is, between you and God, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, a time of invitation, ask that question, is there any sin in my life that is creating a separation that is ruining or, or pushing away the peace of God, because I have some known sin. You just ask God to forgive you. You don't need to confess it to me. You don't need to confess it to anyone else between you and God alone. Number one, do you know Jesus Christ? Number two, Christian, are we living with a desire for holiness because God is holy? Not a standard of others, but what God's called us to be. And I trust you do business with God. You just pray and talk with the Lord wherever you're seated. In your seat, just pray and talk with him as the Holy Spirit of God convicts your heart. As the music plays at this time, I trust you just take the time to talk with God.
As I was preaching tonight, and maybe you're struggling in an area, and uh, you'd be willing to say, Pastor, I'd like you to pray for me. There's not anything specific, but uh, I'd just like you to pray for me this evening. If you just lift up your hand, I'd be happy to pray for you. You don't need to hold it up. Just slip it up real quick, pull it back down. I'd be happy to pray for you. I won't call you out. I won't say anything, but I will pray for uh, in general. I'll pray for those who raise their hand. Thank you so much. Anyone else tonight with upraised hands? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone tonight saying, I don't know for sure if I died, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. I don't know. I think I do, but I'm not positive. Would you pray for me? I'd settle that decision this, this evening. Would you, if you just slip up your hand, I'd be happy to pray for you. My prayer won't make you a Christian, but I would pray that you'd settle that answer, that question. As the music will come to a close here before too long, Man, holiness. It's nothing like having God's hand of blessing, peace upon your life. Because your desire is to make Him first. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for being our wonderful and gracious Savior. Thank You, Lord, for the principle of holiness. And God, we don't need to compare ourselves with others. Because we all, <laughs> Lord, there's a lot of problems when we do that. Pride sets in and ego and a lot of conflict. But Father, our standard is You who are perfect. And Lord, I know You want all of our hearts. Father, You want to be our only, you think about it in terms of relationship, the only one, a lover of our hearts and lives. And Father, I pray for those tonight that raise their hands that You would encourage and help them. Help them to make decisions as You have spoken to their hearts this evening. Father, thank You for the visit. Amen. God bless you.